Psalm 46, where we're going to be spending our time together. And you may have noticed on your bulletins that next week we will be beginning a series in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. So this Sunday is really just going to be, I guess you could call it a break Sunday in between series. We finished up the series of Ecclesiastes last Sunday, and then next Sunday we'll begin a new series. So Psalm 46 is just kind of a a break or a rest period for us. And then when next Sunday when we gather together, I'll be giving an introduction to the letter, and then we'll be going from there. So let's read these words together and then ask the Lord for His help. Psalm 46, hear the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, we come before You and we thank You for these marvelous words, these words of great comfort, the promises that we have here, encouragement, confidence that it gives to Your people. And in these moments, Father, I ask that Your Word would fulfill its purposes that Your people, the ones sitting before me now, would be built up. Those who are, who are weak, who are struggling, who are discouraged, may You build them up. May You encourage them through Your Word. Father, those who may be proud, may it humble us. May it show us who we truly are, that we are sinners in need of Your grace, and that You are God Almighty over all things. May it bring back the the wandering, the person who may be wandering from Your Word, wandering from the faith. May Your Word bring them back. And for the lost, O Lord, may it save them. May it convict them of sin and show them that they are in need of Christ. Father, may Your Word accomplish these things this morning. And may You be with me as I proclaim Your Word. May You help me to proclaim it with delight. And may Your people receive it with glad hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Throughout history, Psalm 46 has been a a psalm of great encouragement and of great confidence for the church. One 
Christian in particular that gained great encouragement or great confidence from this psalm was Martin Luther. And I think most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with who Martin Luther was. I preached a sermon on the Reformation last year in October, which was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And one of the men that I focused on was Martin Luther. And so in 1517, Martin Luther was the man who nailed his 95 theses on the church door there in Wittenberg, Germany. And that's what historians, theologians say began the Reformation. We attribute the beginning of the Reformation to Martin Luther. And because it was attributed to him and all that he did in the Reformation, you can imagine that the Roman Catholic Church hated him a lot. And he fought depression. He had threats upon his life. At one point, the Pope, who was over the Roman Catholic Church, he actually signed a document that gave permission for people to kill Martin Luther on site and they wouldn't be charged with murder. So if they were to see Martin Luther, they could just strike him down right then and there. They could get away with murder. That's how much these people in that day hated Martin Luther. And so in these times of great struggle throughout his life, Martin Luther would say to one of his great companions, Melanchthon, who was also a reformer, he would say to him, Come, Melanchthon, let's sing Psalm 46 together. And what they would sing was Martin Luther's version of this psalm, which is, A mighty fortress is our God. It's a great hymn that I'm sure we have all at one point sang. I don't know if it's in our, home, in our hymn book. I imagine it is. But Martin Luther wrote that hymn. And it's based off of what we see here in Psalm 46. Our God is a mighty fortress. And we as Christians even today can still relate to why Christians like Martin Luther and other Christians throughout history who faced suffering and persecution, we can relate to why they receive such encouragement and great confidence from these words. Because one of the great themes that flow through these verses, as you may have noticed when we were reading through them, is that God is with His people. For example, look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Again in verse 7, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then for a third time in verse 11, the psalmist says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So that's one of the main themes that flows through these verses, that God is with His people. And we need to know that, right? As the people of God, you know, when we suffer, even though we might not suffer exactly like Martin Luther suffered in his day, you know, the Roman Catholic Church breathing down his neck, wanting to execute him every chance that they had. We may not face that, but we still struggle. And we need to know in the midst of these struggles that God is with us. And that's one of the things that we see in this psalm. The other main theme that flows through Psalm 46 
is that God will be exalted. God will be exalted among all nations. So He's with His people, and He is also going to be exalted among all nations. So in light of those two themes, this is my summary of the psalm. This is what we're going to see as we walk through these verses together. My summary goes like this. God is with His people and will be exalted among all nations. Therefore, do not fear. Therefore, do not fear. That's that's the summary of this psalm. And if you notice, just looking at the psalm, it's broken up in three what is called stanzas. Verses 1 to 3 make a stanza, a portion of the psalm, and then verses 4 to 7, and then verses 8 through 11. And they're all separated by that word that you see to the side there that's called Selah. And we're really not sure what exactly that word means. Our best guess is that it's a musical terminology there that separates the stanzas. It may have meant like a pause as the people of Israel back in that day sang through these verses. But it's naturally divided up in that way. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put verses 1 to 7 together because that's where we're mainly going to see the theme that God is with His people. So verses 1 to 7 are going to be together. And that's where we're going to see that God is with His people no matter what. He will protect them. He's a refuge for them. And then in verses 8 to 11, to 11 is where we're going to see God will be exalted among the nations. So that's how we're going to handle That's how we're going to walk through the verses. So I'll begin with the title of the psalm where you read, To the choir master which just means the director of music, the one who would have been directing how the music was played, the note, the key that it was played in, to the choir master. And then the author or the authors of this psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah. They are the authors of this psalm. According to Alamoth, which is another musical terminology, And then finally you see where it says a song. So this psalm, Psalm 46, is a song. It's a praise to God. Now you remember that some psalms are different than others. You think of Psalm 16, which is a psalm that we handled a while back. That is a petition or a prayer. David is praying to God in that psalm. Whereas here in Psalm 46, the sons of Korah are praising God for who He is. He's a refuge. He's a fortress. There's praise on the lips of God's people as they sing these words. And they begin, the sons of Korah, the the psalmist, they begin in verse 1 by saying, God is our refuge. Now you need to underline or circle our there. God is our refuge and strength. And what they're referring to there is the people of God. Now in that day it would have been the nation of Israel. But we know, you know, on the other side of the New Testament that any person who has put their faith in Christ, a follower of Christ, Jesus is your Lord, Savior, and treasure, 
then you are the people of God. You are the hour here. God is your refuge and your fortress if you are in Christ. But what about those who are outside the, the hour here? This phrase that we have here, this hour. If you're not a follower of Christ, then God is not your refuge and your strength. In fact, He is your enemy because you are an enemy of God. As Paul makes clear to us in Romans chapter 5 where he says, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, enemies of God, all of us before we became Christians, We were considered enemies of God. And so for the unbeliever, none of the promises in verses 1-7 to are true for them. They can be. If you embrace Christ, they can be true for you. But if you are not a follower of Christ, they are not true for you. In fact, God, as we were saying, being an enemy, He is against you. And if you don't ever turn to Him in faith in Christ, then He will one day pour out His wrath upon you as an enemy. But God is our refuge and our strength. He is the refuge of His people. He is the strength of His people. He is a very present help in trouble. And your Bible may or may not at the bottom of that page in reference to very present, you may have a note there that says, or well proved. So God is not only a very present help, you know, He's not distant. It it would be one thing to sit here and say that, you know, God is my refuge and He's my strength, but yet He's way over there. Well, what good is that going to do when trouble comes? If He's not there with you? Well, God's not like that. He's present or He's well proved. He has proved to His people and to you by His Word, by His faithfulness, His steadfast love, that He will be there. He is a very present help in trouble. He's well proved. You can bet on God. Your bottom dollar, you know, as we like to say. You can bet your bottom dollar on God. He will not fail you as your help, your refuge, and your strength. And then verse 2, therefore, or because. So because God is our refuge and strength, because He is a very present help in trouble or a well-proved help in trouble, therefore, because of those things, we will not fear. Because God is those things for His people, for you, child of God, if that's true for you, because of those things, we will not fear. You have no reason to fear. We will not fear though the earth gives way. And now what He's about to do is come up with the the most chaotic picture that He can think of. That's what the psalmist is doing here. The most chaotic thing that He can think of, or that they can think of. Though the earth gives way. It's pretty big, isn't it? You know, the earth giving way. Could you picture what the earth 
giving way looks like, if you were to walk out your door one morning and the earth was just giving way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now for the people of Israel, the sea was a picture of of chaos. You know, there was no organization in the sea. So the people of Israel looked at the sea and in their, in their poems, in their poetic language, the sea usually, most of the time, it refers to chaos or darkness or evil, things like that. And that's what he's doing here. So the sea is roaring, it's foaming, it's swelling, it's consuming, it's consuming even the mountains. The mountains are trembling as it swells and consumes them. But yet the the psalmist's words still hold true. Because God is my refuge and my fortress. Because He is my well-proved, my very present help, I have no reason to fear. So if you were to walk out your door one morning and you were to see the earth giving way before your very eyes, or the sea, chaos, whatever, roaring at you, foaming, you have no reason to fear. Now we can also think of these things in a a figurative way as well because it's more than likely that you're probably not going to walk out your door and see the earth literally giving way until the last day when Christ comes back. But you do have things that happen in your life that make you feel like the earth is giving way. I do. I mean, sometimes I can wake up and think to myself, I would very much like to just stay in the bed today. You know, the world can do its thing. I'm just going to stay right here in my little comfort zone. I don't really want to do anything because of some outside event, you know, putting pressure on me, some type of stress. Or maybe you've had a loved one die, or you've lost your job, or you've lost your house, or, you know, some type of event like that that makes you feel like, you know, mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea. You know, some fixed thing in your life is being moved. It's being crushed, smashed into little pieces right in front of you. One of the things that I was thinking about is, you know, my wife and I have a, a routine that we go through every week. We're working on our routine. You know, we're trying to make it a little bit better, more organized. But most of the time, I can expect my wife to be home at a certain time and she can expect me to be home at a certain time. And we have certain things that just happen. We have these fixtures in our life, kind of like we're talking about here. Well, at any point in time, you know, something can happen to her and she may not show up one evening. Or the same for me. You know, something could happen, you know, car crash, kills me, kills her. You know, that's over. You know, a fixture in my life that I find myself depending on has just been ripped from me. And it would feel like mountains were being moved into the heart of the sea. It would feel like the very earth itself was was giving way in my life at that moment. But the promise here is that God is my refuge and He is my strength. And it's the same for you. 
He is your refuge. He is your strength. And He is there in those times of trouble. He's there. And you'd be thinking to yourself, Ryan, I've had horrible things happen to me before and it felt like God wasn't there. You know, I was suffering in some way and it felt like God was nowhere to be found. You know, where's this very present promise at that point in my life, right? Where's He at then? I thought He's well proved. I thought He's proven Himself that He's going to be there. Why do I feel so alone? Or depressed or, or whatever. Why do I feel this way? Well, I can't give you an exact answer, honestly, but I can direct you to Scripture that shows that even in those moments when you may not feel that God is there, He is there and He is at work in ways that you cannot even imagine. Passages like Romans chapter 5, where Paul says that we not only rejoice in the good things, but we rejoice in our suffering. Because suffering produces character. And he goes down his list of what is produced by suffering. Think of Romans chapter 8. The great promises there that for those who love God, all things work together for their good. You know, in those moments where terrible and horrific things are happening to you, God is at work. And like we were seeing in Ecclesiastes last week, You may not understand now, but one day God is going to judge every secret thing, whether good or evil. And on that day, you will be able to see clearly what is vague here and now. He will show you, this is why I did this. You know, if that wouldn't have happened, then this result here wouldn't have happened. So trust the promises of God. He is with you. And, there, and you're, you're not alone if you're crying out, you know, where are you, God? Think of Psalm 13. The psalmist there in Psalm 13 is crying out, How long, O Lord, will you forsake me? That's his cry. This is a cry you know, throughout history for the people of God. God feeling distant and making that cry known to Him, but also trusting His promises and knowing that He's there. Verse 4, and here we have a contrast. The psalmist here is contrasting from what we just looked at, the, the raging sea, the roaring, the foaming sea. Here we see a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Previously, we had the sea, it's roaring, it's foaming, it's consuming things, it's chaotic. But for the people of God, there's a stream flowing, it's organized, and its result is joy. He says it makes glad the city of God, or the people of God, the dwelling place of God, where God's people are. And the reason, once again, verse 5, is that God is there. He's present with them. God is in the midst of her, referring to His people as a whole. And she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 
God will be there to help His people. He is in the midst of them. And even more so now in our case. Because remember, the psalmist, when he wrote this, when they wrote this, were referring to God dwelling with the people Israel in the temple. You know, the most holy place. God's glory, His presence dwelling there. Well, that presence now is in you, Christian. Christ has accomplished that for you. His life, death, and His resurrection. You know, He left, He ascended, and what He sent back to earth is the Helper, the Spirit of God. He says, I go away so that I can send one to you, speaking of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes and He indwells His people. So God is surely in the midst of His people. He dwells in your hearts. You shall not be moved, and He will help you. Verse 6, we have another comparing and contrasting going on here. A moment ago we had creation itself, you know, the earth giving way, the mountains being moved, the, the sea roaring and foaming. But now it's, it's not creation, but it's the nations. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. And I want you to notice that in verse 6, you see the word rage there. Or if you're reading a, another translation, NIV, I'm not sure what word you may have, but in the ESV we have the word rage. Well, the word rage is the same word for roar in verse 3. And then also... The, word, the two words moved in verses 2 and then verse 5 and then also totter. Those, are, those three words are the same words. And the psalmist does this intentionally because he means for you to see you know, this connection that he's making, this comparing. Like, the, the, like creation itself raging against God's people, so the nations sometimes rage against God's people. Sometimes nations, people, rage against us, the people of God. The kingdoms totter, they shift. But God utters His voice and the earth melts. You know, no matter, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it be creation, whether it be nations, whether it be people, God speaks, He utters His voice, and it all just melts before Him. Think about a mighty warrior in battle. God speaks and His strength just leaves Him. He melts before the living God. He has no power whatsoever. And this is on your side, people of God. God does this for you. These are your promises. And then he ends in verse 7, this first little section here, by saying, the Lord of hosts is with us. The, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Again, making known that theme that we are talking about, that God is with His people. Now we come to verses 8 to 11, where God will be exalted among the nations. And here the psalmist, he shifts his focus. He's no longer primarily talking to the people of God here. In these verses, they're mainly directed to the nations. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in a moment. 
He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. Now you remember what one of the main responsibilities or main goals of the people of Israel were? You remember God established the people of Israel so that the nations, the world, would see His His grace, His mercy through the people of Israel. The nations would see through Israel the works of God and then they would praise God's name. Well, that's what he's saying here. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord, using the personal name of God there, Yahweh. Come, behold the living God, the true God, the only God who works miracles or great works, the only one who brings desolations on the earth. And then in verse 9, He, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. God is a, he's a conqueror. He's not, just like, he's not going around making peace treaties with all these different nations. You know, he's not going around kindly asking, you know, would you please stop making war with my people or would you please stop causing chaos or raging against my rule and my authority? God's not doing that. No, He's a conqueror. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then in verse 10, again, this verse is directed at these raging nations. I think sometimes we can tend to to quote that verse and think primarily that we should be still and know that God is God, which is not a bad thing. It is good to be still and know that God is God, that He's the Lord, that He is in control of all things. But in the context of what we see here, God is speaking and He's speaking to all those who rage against Him. And this is what He says to those nations, to these people. He says, be still and know that I am God. You know, your false idols that you worship, that you bow down before, that you think are going to work miracles before you or for you, do great things, bring salvation, they're not God. They're fakes. They're worthless. He says, be still. Stop your raging and know that I am God. Because... I will be exalted among the nations, whether they like it or not. You know, let's say they don't stop raging. You know, there's nations today, modern day time, that still rage against the purposes of God. But God's purposes will still be fulfilled nonetheless. They're not going to stop the work of God. He will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth in all the nations, in all peoples, in all tribes, in all tongues. One day, all people will bow down and praise the name of God, which we're going to see in a moment is primarily and specifically Jesus. One day you're going to bow down before Christ. And like I've said before in previous messages, you can either do that with joy welling up in your heart, or you can do it with fear. 
because of the wrath of the Lamb of God that will be poured out upon you. But you will bow before Him either way. He will be exalted in all the earth among all the nations. And in verse 11, for the third time now, the psalmist again says that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Once again, continuing that theme all the way through the psalm, that God is with His people. He is their fortress. He will be with them to help them. Now, how are we to interpret these verses in light of Christ and His work and all that He does on our behalf and what He's accomplished through His life, His death, and His resurrection? Well, first, when I was preparing for this psalm, I didn't think that it would be an Advent psalm or a, a Christmas-style passage of Scripture. But you think of the theme that we're just talking about. We were talking about a moment ago and have been mentioning throughout. You know, God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's a very present help. Well, who fulfills that? Christ. Because He comes down, you know, in the form of a man. He comes and He dwells, literally, He tabernacles, looking back to the, the temple and the tabernacle before that. God comes down in Christ and He dwells with His people. He dwells among them in ways that we could never imagine. Like one of the, the songs that we sing, Who Would Have Dreamed? Now, who would have dreamed that we could hold God in our hands? It's one of the verses of that song. Who would have dreamed that God would fulfill this promise to be with His people by humbling Himself, God Almighty, infinite in every way, taking on, adding to Himself, weak and frail flesh and dwelling with man. God is surely with us. He is surely with His people. And He will come again. Christ will come back and we will for all eternity dwell with our God. He will be in the midst of us. We will be in the midst of His presence forevermore. And then secondly, the Lord being exalted. The greatest place in the Bible that we see God being exalted besides the book of Revelation, you know, when all things come to an end and Christ finally comes back and He declares victory for God and for His people. The other greatest place, second greatest place that we see this is, is in the cross. Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, being exalted through humility. He takes our sins, His people's sins upon Him, he faces great shame, but as the, the author of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before Him, He bore the cross, despising the shame. So He took these horrible things upon Him, our sin, you know, our punishment. He, he, he's humiliated. He humbles Himself, not only by becoming a man, but being hung on the cross, facing death. But then He overcomes it. And He is exalted. You know, Jesus Christ is given the name above every name. 
King of kings, Lord of lords. Exaltation comes through this spectacle of humiliation. And again, who would have dreamed that God would fulfill these promises in this way? Infinite, omnipotent God, Almighty, could do whatever He wants, but He chooses to make Himself known in this way. By humbling Himself to the grave and then conquering conquering it, saving His people through that. And then one day coming back and sharing this exaltation with His people. You know, reigning with Christ. The, the people of God, Christians, you are heirs with Christ. Adopted into His family. When God looks upon you, He looks at you just like He looks at Christ. Which is just unbelievable perfect righteousness that you did not earn for a moment. And God does all of this for you. So how could you not believe that God is with you? As the psalmist says here, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, a well-proved help in trouble. You know, Think on those promises, all that God has done in His Word. Think on those things. Meditate upon them. Drive them deep into your heart. And in those moments when God may seem distant or the pressure is on, stress overtakes, know that God in Christ and all that He has done is surely with you. And that one day you will see in full picture what we only see in part now. Father, we come and we thank You for Psalm 46 and we thank You for Your Word as a whole. We thank You for the Gospel, which is the good news of Christ and all that He's done for us. There's no way that we could have ever accomplished anything on our own. But You, being our refuge, being our fortress, our our very present help, our well-proved help, Father, You have provided the way in Jesus to be restored. And also You will be exalted among all the earth, all nations. All the evil, all the, the godlessness that we see, You will be exalted, far exalted above all of it. And one day we will dwell in perfection, in complete joy with our King and Lord, Savior and Treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray.